Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Our Athletes. My name is Michael Rosil. I'm your host to the show where I get to talk to Olympic athletes and hopefuls on their story and path to the games. Today, super cool dude, Evan Weinstock. He is from USA bobsledding. He was actually at the most recent games in Pyeongchang, the 2018 games. And I got to talk to him about his career in sports, everything he's done, bobsledding, just the whole nine. And he's such a open and honest dude. And it was a lot of fun getting to hear him talk about everything that he does. Um, just as forewarning, I do get a little angry at cancer at some point. So if you guys have kids in the car, I guess just watch out. You'll probably hear it coming. Um, but Evan is a really incredible dude. How he got into bobsledding turns out is very unique um, to the all the outsiders listening. But apparently within bobsledding, it's very um, common. Let's call it. Let, let's use that. So Evan was a all all state football player. He then started doing track and field when he got into college, super smart dude, went to an Ivy league school, then eventually made it into bobsled, was able to represent his country. And now he's doing medical device sales. So he's been all over, um, doing some amazing things. Really cool dude. Really hope you guys, um, listen to his story, see what he got, see what he takes from life. Um, and really be able to, to, to push that forward and use it for yourself. So thank you guys so much. Hope you guys enjoy the episode. All right, and today, another special guest. I mean, literally, they're all Olympians, so it's a pretty unbelievable time over here. Um, we have Evan Weinstock. He's of USA Bobsledding. He was born October 30th, 1991 in Las Vegas, Nevada. Nothing. I'm, I thought you weren't allowed to come out of Las Vegas or some shit like that, right? Like, I'm not totally <laughs> sure how that worked. Um, he was uh, – a couple cool things about Evan. He was a wide receiver slash safety out in Nevada, and he actually won player of the year, um, which is pretty incredible for football. I mean, that's a state that's not messing around either. Evan then went to Brown University where he majored in biology. He set the record in the decathlon. He is second in university history for the heptathlon and was a four-time Ivy League champion, three times in the decathlon, one time in the heptathlon. Um, And he went to the 2018 Olympics where he competed in the two-man and the four-band bobsled. Evan, thank you so much for being here today, man. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Love it. I'm excited to hear your story. I mean, you're obviously a pretty smart dude going to an Ivy League school, and you're also obviously a pretty um, elite athlete with uh, all those things that I just said. So, if you don't mind, Evan, giving us a little bit more background information on uh, how you've been doing and how you got this far. Yeah, I've been, I've been good. I mean, this, uh, it's definitely been quite the turn of events. You know, most people, when I, I would just give my broad summary, I, you know, I say, oh, I'm Evan. You know, I'm, I went to the Olympics in the bobsled, and uh, they're like, oh, where are you from? I said, I'm from Las Vegas, and that's already people are kind of like, you know, how's a bobsledder come out of Las Vegas? And uh, so, you know, every, everything kind of uh, just figured its way to that direction, and uh, I'm, I'm pretty fortunate in that sense. Uh, I've had some pretty cool experiences, I think. Uh, just being in Las Vegas, you have a, it's a big city. you got a ton of entertainment around you. Um, I participated in sports. It felt pretty normal childhood to me. Um, was fortunate enough to go to Brown University, a pretty good academic school, um, and continue on with my athletic career. Um, had a great four years at Brown, uh, graduated with a degree in biology, um, and then continued actually doing the decathlon for another year after I graduated uh, until I got into bobsledding. It's a pretty common occurrence that most bobsled athletes will come from a track or a football background. And so I kind of naturally fit into that same pathway. Um, and three years on the team, ended up making the Olympic team, and uh, here I am. So, yeah, it was a pretty wild journey. But uh, to me, it all kind of flowed pretty smoothly, and nothing really, uh, you know, stuck out that was like, oh, man, I, I really got to take this, uh, this wild opportunity and see where it goes. It just all kind of uh, melted in together. It it sounds like it, and I'm sure from your point of view, it's it's you know it's one of those things where you don't notice yourself growing taller every day, but you're growing taller every day, kind of thing. Like obviously <laughs> to you, it's like yeah, I mean this happened, then this happened, then from an outsider's point of view, especially when you kind of break it down um, and and make it more of into a synopsis, it's it's a pretty incredible story, man. Like that's not it's nothing, you know. Please please uh, you know don't humble yourself too much, man. Like you've done some pretty incredible things, so I think it's. Uh, uh, it's pretty darn cool. I mean, let's just start out. I, you went to Brown, so you're obviously a pretty smart dude. You were player of the year in football in, again, a state that's not messing around when it comes to that stuff. I mean, like, like what what do you really attribute your ability to be? I mean, you know, there's always the saying, like, when you're blessed with one thing, you're, you know, you're the guy. Of course, you're probably an amazing musician too, right? No, I'm not actually. Oh, right. <laughs> what about singer? Can you sing for us? Like, I don't know. Uh, like, clearly, you're, you're, you're a pretty incredible dude. What do you, what do you uh, attribute all that to? 
Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, I guess uh, I compare a lot of things to the decathlon because that was kind of my first love with anything. Um, decathlon's a, a all-encompassing track and field event where we feature um, running, jumping, throwing. Uh, it's kind of a little bit of mix of everything. And so I uh, was never really great at any one specific thing, but I was always pretty good at a little bit of everything. Um, and so naturally, decathlon was a very easy fit to me. And then football kind of fit into that as well because it, it, to me it was just using what abilities I had or what qualities I had and applying it into a new scenario and where I could try to be as best as I can at it um, and same way with a- academics I think that um, I just always associated anything that I was going to kind of be a part of and just trying to do it in the best of my ability and otherwise I was kind of wasting my time so uh, I always made a point to be really studious and really good at school and uh, I just wanted to be the best at, it, at where I was. And, um, I definitely kind of stepped outside my comfort zone to go to uh, Brown, which was uh, it's one of the top uh, schools in the country. And uh, coming out of Las Vegas Public School, it, it was definitely a challenge. So it's, uh, but I, w- I was excited about that challenge because I surrounded myself with some of the brightest people in the world, and um, to be able to see kind of the uh, the role model or, or who I should uh, be like right next to me every day was uh, helped bring me up to that level. And um, yeah, I, I guess it's just, um, like I said, I just, uh, I've been very good at taking what abilities I know that work for me or, and trying to apply it into any type of scenario. I think the same goes for bobsled. It's, uh, you know, I, I took my background from football and track and I kind of melted it in and, became a really good bobsledder so yeah hey man it, i mean clearly it worked not everybody gets to make it to the olympics as you're very well aware so clearly you were doing something right so just a couple more questions on like i guess your your we'll call it your early life i mean what this was like eight nine years ago again we're like the same age so high school wasn't that far away but i mean so you're you're player of the year in nevada at a pretty coveted two-way position wide receiver and safety what were I mean, you probably know the question, but what kind of scholarship offers did you have on the table? Like, I'm assuming there yeah. was at least a few out there, right? Yeah, I was uh, I was a little disappointed there weren't more. Um, I think uh, just if you look at me, I'm a very unassuming guy, typically, even in the bobsled world and at the Olympics. People think of bobsledders as these big meatheads that are, you know, benching 400 pounds and doing all that. And I'm kind of a more of a skinny guy. And, and don't get me wrong, like, I have some strength, but it's, uh, I'm, you, you would never just pick me out of a crowd as being like the most athletic guy or anything like that. And, um, so just, um, sorry, go ahead. What was that question again? So, so, I mean, what were the, what were the prospects like coming out of high school? Oh yeah, that's right. Play some college yeah. football. So unfortunately, yeah, when I was, um, when I was playing football and on tape, even though I had some pretty good stats or I played really well and I, um, when you look at me on film to, to most college recruiters, they see just this tall kind of gangly guy who doesn't look like he's very fast because I have long legs and my turnover isn't as quick as some, someone else. So, uh, the biggest, the most feedback I would get, uh, from most college recruiters is that I was too slow. And I was, I say, well, how are you going to say I'm too slow? Look at my track times, look at my stats and all this. And it, it's just, I think kind of how I looked and uh, a lot of times they would go with the more flashy receiver or the guy from a bigger name school. I came from Del Sol High School. We had about 30 guys on our football team. So, and then we were going up against big juggernauts like Bishop Gorman, who's always nationally ranked and they've won state championship for the last probably 15 years. And so it was, uh, it was really hard to get as many looks as I was hoping to get, but I was fortunate enough that people in, uh, Las Vegas and Nevada took notice of kind of how I played the game and how uh, I could help lead the team. And uh, I was, I was very fortunate to get that honor of player of the year. So um, yeah, <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's, I mean, it's, it's pretty cool, man. And yeah, I can understand. Um, I mean, obviously I can't understand. I was never good at football. So obviously I'm not going to know where you're coming from completely, but I can, I can, I guess, see how people would say well you just don't look the part and which is obviously pretty disappointing especially as you said how can you say i'm slow i literally run track and like you can see my numbers 
right there. Yeah. It's on the page. Like you run the 40 form. It's not like it's like a, like a, a question. It's like, no, I ran the 40 in this time. Like clearly I can run. So it might just be, yeah, the way you looked and, but Hey man, if we're being honest, you're probably a little happy that it turned out the way it did. Aren't you? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I, I was originally looking for opportunities to continue on everything I was doing in high school. So I wanted to continue playing football and doing track and most uh, division one colleges won't allow that. You know, you have to choose either football or track. Uh, so that was actually one of the biggest draws uh, with Brown. And not only was it a great academic school, but athletically it allowed me to have that opportunity to play both sports if I wanted to. Um, and I did, unfortunately I had a, a kind of a, minor shoulder injury uh, my senior year and I was going to rehab or debating getting surgery and I had a my college track coach um, she was like well why don't you take some time to rehab and, and do all this and we can get you back at least for track shape and so I took my first uh, freshman year football season off and I was hoping to go back and I just had a really good track um, season and and never really revisited football so that's kind of how I dropped out of football most a lot of people ask me that you know why why did you leave football after you just got player of the year and all this you had a, a great potential there um, it, it's potential you, you never know and, that, and that's the thing when I, I'm kind of dipping my toes in that to everything it's just you, you don't really know what's going to be the right path and you just kind of have to stick with one and uh and, and do the best you can at that path. So I'm, I am very fortunate and I don't regret uh, the route that I took. No, man. And, and we don't, we, we appreciate it too. Um, you know, you representing us at the games, games we, uh, we sincerely do appreciate it. So thank you. And uh, I mean, it's a, I guess like a blessing in disguise. And as I was telling you um, uh, before the call, pretty much every single athlete I've talked to so far has had one or two moments in their life where everything kind of like, it just happened. And as you were saying earlier, like, Oh, it never looked like a big deal, but like, again, from the outside, and I'm sure as you're telling the story, you go from player of the year again in a relatively competitive um, state to then unfortunately hurting yourself to then realizing your potential in a sport that can, can bring you to the game. So I think it's just, it's crazy cool. Um, it's very impressive. So you were actually, so, so actually let's talk about your time at Brown. Obviously it's a major academic school and plus, so, so first you also go from, Las Vegas to the Northeast, right? Where's Brown located? I can't remember. Yeah, Providence, Rhode Island. Providence, Rhode Island. So then you get to, I've been to Providence, Rhode Island in the winter. I didn't enjoy it, to be totally honest with you. <laughs> um, so how did you kind of just handle that? And, and I mean, obviously, if you get accepted by an Ivy League school, you're going to go. But what was that transition like going across the country and then dealing with um, those wonderful Providence winters? Yeah, uh, it was definitely, you know, a, a little bit of a culture shock. Uh, but I, uh, I was have some family that lives in the Northeast, so I've always kind of uh, I've visited there during the winter times, and I, I at least had some family members that kind of uh, made it feel a little bit more like home to me. Uh, but Brown was actually the only school on the East Coast that I applied to. Every other school, I was hoping to go to California or somewhere warm, and um, just I and actually my top two schools when it got down to it were between the University of Colorado and um and brown and i took my official visits to both of them and uh, i loved both of them and they both had great draws and, but ultimately I ended up going with brown and um with my family being nearby in the the northeast i was kind of able to be out there for a little bit um beforehand and, and know what i was getting myself into and i don't know i just kind of liked the the change i, I liked that um unfamiliar you, you know, that's just stepping outside of your comfort zone is something new. And so uh, that that's kind of uh, a lot of the reason why I ended up going to Brown. I completely respect that. I mean, yeah, I mean, obviously Ivy League school, you're not messing around. Uh, not that University of Colorado is, is, is bad <laughs> by any chance, but I mean, like Ivy League is different. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. A little different. Um, so that's, that's cool, man. We're glad that you came out here. If, if it wasn't for the weather, I think the East Coast would be perfect. But you know, the weather up here, <laughs> I just hate it. I mean, it's like 90 with 90% humidity today. Tomorrow, it's probably going to be the same thing. It's not the most fun, but hey, it is what it is. Um, but yeah, man, I mean, I just think that's super cool. And obviously, you majored in biology, so you weren't messing around there. You were one of the best athletes all around, as you were saying, with the decathlon. You know, that's, that's a little bit of everything. So what was it like? 
I mean, setting records at Brown and also having to make sure that, you know, you're, you're standing up to the rigorous academic expectations. It was definitely tough. And like I kind of commented on earlier, coming from a Las Vegas public school, it was, it was a, a, a big shock to me once I got there and realized, oh, like this is actually what studying is. This is what <laughs> um, I actually have to do to prepare for a test. And uh, so I, it, it was a struggle at first. My freshman fall was, was tough. And uh, I had always been able to devote 100% of my time to athletics. And, and in that, you know, that small amount of time, I was able to take care of academics and, and do fine with it. But once you got to an Ivy League school, you actually have to take some of that time to uh, devote it to academics. And so it was tough for me to balance. But uh, Brown is uh, such a great school and they have so many great resources that help keep, get people on track because you have people from all over the world, all over the country. So I wasn't, the, I'm, I wasn't alone going through that. And um, I was able to kind of figure out what worked for me. How do I balance the athletic lifestyle that I wanted with the academic lifestyle I want? How could I accomplish my goal of graduating with the degree I wanted and accomplish my goals of where I want athletics to take me? So uh, it, it took a long time, and I don't know if I ever mastered it, but I think that by the, you know, I at least – accomplished uh, graduating and uh, made it to the NCAA championship. So uh, it's just a lot of time management. And I think that pretty much all collegiate athletes will tell you that time management is uh, one of the, the best things that you gain out of uh, competing. So you just have to figure out how I can practice and go to the library at the same time. And maybe that's not having as much of that social life or it's uh, not doing that other extracurricular that you want to that your friends are doing so um made it work and it was definitely challenging but uh you know i don't like i said i don't regret any part of that you learned a lot from it too it sounds like i mean i personally when i was in school it wasn't in an ivy league and i still couldn't manage my time i also wasn't you know an elite athlete so that's always important too so i mean i made it through um someone tells me your gpa was probably a little bit better and some of the things you did alongside were probably excluded let's say excluding your freshman fall uh, other than that i'm sure your gpa was totally fine then so that's uh, it could definitely be it got better it got better a hundred percent i mean i think they all did so I, I respect that um so you're there you're killing it at the decathlon you're doing very well at the heptathlon as well i mean that's not to not to say anything you were the ivy league champion once in the heptathlon three times in the decathlon so you actually were training for the 2016 game so 2014 you graduated correct correct yeah. and then did you just immediately i mean you graduated in biology so it's it's a it's a relatively interesting field i'm sure you enjoyed it so you were looking for jobs or or did you just go straight and you were just like wait a second i think i actually might be able to go for the yeah. 2016 games like what was that transition period like and what kind of were some of the thoughts that were rolling through your head yeah i think well, first, uh, to say you're going for the Olympic Games is kind of a, a bold statement with most people, um, including high school athletes. If you're doing an Olympic sport like track and field, obviously, I think your ultimate goal should be the Olympic Games. So, um, yeah, I was very fortunate and I, my athletic career uh, progressed a little bit further than most people did. And I was uh, definitely thought that it could be at least a realistic shot to make a Team USA team maybe not an Olympic team. There's other Team USA teams, such as uh, a USA versus Germany meet or a uh, USA versus Canada type of competition. So there are uh, other international teams you can make outside the Olympics that I thought I had a realistic shot of making. And so I wanted to continue on with my uh, athletic career um, post-Brown because I had just started really figuring out the decathlon kind of my junior senior year and i wanted to continue on it decathlon is a very addicting thing where you're uh you're never going to feel like you have that perfect event you can always improve on one area because you have 10 different events to improve on um, and so i wanted to keep chasing that dream of just being an international athlete like competing on a larger stage than just the u.s and then uh, with my degree in biology, I was pre-med, uh, like most of us were in uh, college uh, with a science background. And so I had aspirations of also per perhaps going to medical school. Um, and so I decided, let's study for the MCAT. Let's move out to an area where I can continue training for the decathlon. So I 
moved out to San Francisco. I had my old Brown uh, uh, track and field coach. She was now the coach at Stanford. So I was commuting down to Palo Alto, training with Stanford's track and field team as a volunteer assistant, uh, training. And I was working a small part-time job as a lifeguard at the VA. So just to make ends meet out in expensive San Francisco. And it was, uh, that was a tough time as well. Um, I, and I can't say that I devoted all the time properly to studying for med school that I should have. It was, uh, I definitely caught the bug of trying to be a professional athlete and it's devoted much more of my time than studying for the medical school deserves. So, um, I kind of put that on hold and uh, ended up making my first international team. I made a small uh, team called the Capital Cup. It was this competition up in Ottawa, Canada. They took three uh, U.S. male decathletes to this competition. Uh, I got the Team USA gear. And so that was really my first taste of being an international athlete. And that was, was a very big accomplishment in my life that I was uh, that's really what set the stage for bobsledding to come is like knowing, Oh, I can be on this level. I can represent something larger than just myself. And, um, yeah. And it, so it was as soon as I got back from that meet, actually, I think it was maybe two weeks later that I start, I tried out for the bobsled team. Um, wow. and yeah, that is a quick turnaround. Yeah, it was uh, it was quick, and I think that trying out for the bobsled team was kind of uh, partially a joke, um, just yeah. because most people, uh, when they think of bobsledding, they think of oh, cool runnings, Jamaica, like hundred percent. Where you where are you actually going to bobsled? And uh, I was first introduced to the sport through a college teammate who had been invited to try out for the bobsled team. He was an Olympic javelin thrower. And uh, he told told me that he had got invited to the bobsled team. He's like, "You and I should go try out for the bobsled team together. We could be bobsled like athletes." Um, and we always just laughed about it. And um, once I got back from that meet in Canada, I was bored at my lifeguarding job, and I was on the computer, and I was like, "Man, let's look at this bobsled thing. Like, what is, what does it take to be a bobsled athlete again?" And that's where I saw, oh, there's a a combine which is how they recruit athletes and it was it was at uc davis which is about an hour away from san francisco and it was two weeks uh away so i was like oh i'm in good shape i just finished my track season uh let's go do this combine and if nothing else i could at least uh, have a good story uh to say oh i at least tried out for this combine and i did really well i knew that i would do well at the combine because it was all track and field testing which is something that I had been doing for years and I was familiar with. So uh, I knew that I wasn't going to go out there and embarrass myself. I could at least have fun with that. So, uh, yeah. And there it is again. And, and as you're telling it, I hope you're realizing what you said in the beginning. Like it doesn't look like anything too crazy happened, but there's, you know, <laughs> a random person, not random, obviously a former college roommate said, Hey, you want to, you want to make a joke of some people? And we said, yes. And it turns out it was relatively close by and you were able to go. It turns out you were just finished with your seat. I mean, again, from your point of view, I can understand how you don't see that all these random occurrences, you know, lining up, but it's pretty incredible um, from someone from the outside and hopefully the audience listening. Um, that, you know, it's just, it's, it's, I love these stories. They're so cool. How, just how many simple, like little tiny things they seem in, you know, in, um, yeah. in consider inconceivable to you or whatever. And then to us, it's just like, well, if that didn't happen then this didn't happen then this didn't happen. And it's just, it's cool to kind of connect all the dots down the line. Um, a couple things about the decathlon that, you know, from just listening to you talk, obviously we're not best friends yet, but Hey, maybe one day, um, <laughs> you know, uh, so one thing I, I, I would like to point out or, or ask you, I guess is, um, you know, you said you caught the bug of becoming a professional athlete. It also sounds like you caught the bug of not wanting to have to join like the real world and have a real job and deal with all that, um, on top of it. So I think that might be, uh, you know, if, if anyone could become a professional athlete, I always think that's a pretty, pretty important, um, pretty important aspect and another thing that I realized you know as, as you're talking you know one it seems like you always want to be the not the best but you always want to put your best into something and with the decathlon being 10 different events if I'm not mistaken um, 
you're then able to always be improving. As you said, you're always have the ability to get better at at least one of those 10 um, during a day. And it doesn't sound, you don't seem like the kind of guy that likes to sit down. Um, So you're never going to be bored with something like that. And it's always something new and interesting and exciting. Um, So I feel like, am I, am I pretty accurate in both of those statements? You're a hundred percent accurate. Yeah, I would uh, definitely see it that way. Love it, man. Love it. Love it. That's too funny. So, so you actually, all these, the stars aligned yet again to get you to, um, to go to this bobsled event. And I, I I mean, you're on the team, so we have to assume one thing that I'm kind of curious about is when you received the call to be like, Hey, like we actually, I'm assuming it wasn't just this combine and then you're on the team. There was, I'm sure a couple more tests involved as well, but especially immediately after having your first taste of being on the United States team for something that you've been doing for, I mean, at this point, what, like eight or nine years, was there ever that like point in time where you were like, well, I've been doing this for so long and like, I want to keep doing it. Or were you just like, shoot, I have the opportunity to represent the country. I'm just going to jump at it. Yeah, that was a, that was a really tough decision for me. I think it was uh, at that time that I just came back from Canada and compete on that international decathlon. Uh, and the 2016 Olympic trials were coming up that next season. Um, I had told myself once I graduated Brown, I was like, if I'm going to continue on the decathlon, at least give it a shot through the Olympic trials and let's see how far we can actually take this. Uh, I, I gave myself that uh, amount of time, two years, to avoid the real world enough to try that. Mm-hmm. And uh, so with bobsledding, when that came into that picture and I ended up having the best uh, combine score in the country that year. And so the coaches were like, Hey, like we would love to get you out here. We really think you might have a future in uh, bobsledding. I was like, yeah, you know, that's great, but maybe I'll revisit it after 2016. Once I finished with the decathlon and um, it wasn't really something I was ready to go into. And uh, I think that that's a lot of the the issue with most of bobsled recruiting is that it's hard to commit to, as such an obscure sport that you don't have any background on um, because you're, there's just so much unknown with it. And so um, it, I actually had drafted up an email to the bobsled coaches saying like, I appreciate this opportunity, but like I have to finish the decathlon out. Um, perhaps I'll try out again next year and we can go through this uh, again. And I was ready to send that. And I had a phone call from my, my dad, actually. He was like, hey, I really think you should try this out. Like, um, just take a flight to Lake Placid. We'll get you to Lake Placid. Um, just see what bobsledding's like. You're not missing anything right now. You can always go back to the Catholic whenever you want. And I ended up agreeing. And I so in that the same summer, I flew out to Lake Placid and that's really kind of where I saw the potential that bobsledding can go. Like I always knew that I was a pretty good athlete just from my decathlon background. Um, but I didn't know if I could take those skills and apply it to something like bobsledding. And once they start actually exposing you to the sport, uh, that's where you can kind of see how quickly you're going to pick this up or if it's just not something that's for you. And, uh, fortunately I was able to see it pretty quickly and the, the coaches were very, assuring you know they told me right at my rookie camp like uh i had a one-on-one with uh the head the the now head coach and he said look evan i think you could be not just an olympian but i think you can be an olympic medalist and hopefully multiple olympics to come um and that was a pretty like shocking moment to me to be like wow like this is something that's actually obtainable you know i'm not just this um kind of athlete who's winning Ivy League championships, now I could actually be an athlete that goes on to represent our country on the, the largest stage at the Olympics. So um, so I decided to, and at that time I had told him my decathlon aspirations as well, and he was very supportive and he said, look, why don't you just give this a shot in the winter time when you're not competing in track and field anyways. We'll get you out to a few races, see if it's something that um, – we can progress you in and then in the springtime you can go back and continue your decathlon training and give it another shot and so that's exactly what I did and and, uh, I went through and made the national team in bobsledding that fall Um, competed in a few races got invited out to Europe to go slide in Europe and um, 
and then I was always intended on going back and training for track and field and hopefully making the Olympic trials in 2016. Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of where we live off right now. That's see again, this is absolutely incredible. I mean, this is the email was written, ready to go. And I mean, I, I hope it was, you were about to press send and your dad, your phone just started ringing. You're like, Oh, it's my dad. I should pick this up. Um, so, yeah. Believe it you know, or not. And you know, as dramatic as that sounds, it was within like, five minutes i was getting ready to send it that's just <laughs> incredible and i mean it makes sense for you know a, a great advice by your dad and it sounds like you're like oh that you know it makes like what you could at least try it out like worst comes to worst you just go back to exactly where you were because as you said like your season was over you weren't really um competing in anything so it's not it's no harm no foul i guess um and going turning out you actually kind of like it and then the coach is saying like hey man you could you could be something at this it's i mean that's probably a shock to the system. So was there at any point in time, and you seem like an extremely humble guy, so I'm, I'm sure the answer might be, I, I might know what the answer is, but was there a point in time where you were like, oh my gosh, like I actually might be able to do two different sports. Um, if that is ever, was that a thought that ever crossed your mind? Two different sports as in bobsled and track. Yeah. As it, cause I mean, two different yeah. games potentially, I mean, that's a lot of training and a lot of crazy stuff, but, um, was yeah. there ever a time where you kind of hoped that even maybe? It was tough. I think with track and field and, and kind of getting back to my previous point with so many people competing in track and field, especially in the U.S., I think that making an Olympic team and at that time, that's when Ashton Eaton, Trey Hardy were uh, dominant in the world decathlon stage. And the U.S. will only take two, maybe three athletes to the Olympics. And right there, we had the world record holder and the previous two-time world champion already on the team. So, well, not on the team, but but the chances they didn't make it exactly. So I knew my chances of making an Olympic team for track and field was very, very small. And yeah, if I, I thought that I had a really good shot of making the Olympic trials, which to me was like my Olympic games. I was like, I can like go do the Olympic trials. I can compete with Ash and Eaton and Trey Hardy. That would have been such an amazing experience for me. Um, and then when I got into bobsledding and I was like, well, how am I going to weigh these both and still be um, a national lover decathlete? I, I knew that I was probably going to miss a little bit. Um, the decathlon is, works in a way where you have a two-year um, scoring period. So whatever score I did from 2015 would have counted to qualify me for the trials in 2016. And so I put up a pretty good score in 2015, enough to make that small international competition in Canada. And so I was like, look, maybe even if I only had three, three or four months of an off-season to train for track and field, um, that might be enough to get me to where I'm still competitive. That might not be. And then I still have a pretty good score from 2015. So uh, it was a risk I was willing to take. And unfortunately, or I mean, fortunately yeah yeah it didn't it didn't pan out and i ended up missing the olympic trials by one or two spots i think so it was tough but that whole period i was at a different realization in my life so uh my my mom had actually got sick within that in the in march of 2016 and so i just came back from europe she was out there visiting me and she had came down with uh, or she got diagnosed with cancer. And so I stopped everything I was doing and I flew back to Las Vegas, decided to be with her, go to all her doctor's appointments. And, and that all just progressed extremely fast. And she ended up passing in April of 2016. So it was a month between her diagnosis and her getting sick. And uh, that was a pretty tough period in my life because I was just finishing up my bobsled season. I was like, I have no time to waste. I have to get ready and start training for track and field because I have the Olympic trials. And so I was trying to balance them. And with my mom being sick, it was, I, I put all my training on hold and I was back in Vegas and uh, I was trying to do some workouts uh, in between. And it was, it was good because it was a, a good stress reliever at that time. And I was dealing with a lot. And, uh, my brother was around, my parents were divorced. So it was just my brother and I to kind of help take care of everything. And my mom really was, um, the largest figure in our life who kind of had, um, she had her own business. She had the house, everything. So my brother and I really kind of grew up really fast within that month to be like, all right, we got to be grown up now. We got to take care of business. And 
um, it, it put everything on perspective. And I, I kind of, I was like, look, athletics can wait. Like whether or not I make the Olympic trials, it's not, it doesn't matter in the grand scheme of the area. I need to take care of my family. I need to make sure that I'm set up for the future. And so um, when I found out I didn't make the Olympic trials, I was like two spots away. I was like, oh, whatever. Like that was great. Like I, you know, I, I was kind of like half-heartedly committed to it at that time. And I knew uh, I respected the decathlon so much where I was like, if I was going to go to that, I would want people that are a hundred percent committed. Like this is their life's work. And uh, I knew I wasn't at that same level. And so I was okay that I didn't make it. And then I knew that I still had two years to potentially make another Olympics for bobsledding. So let's put everything I can into those two years moving forward. And that's kind of how it worked out. Yeah. I mean, obviously extremely sorry to hear about your mom, man. That's just, um, super unfortunate. I mean, I think we can all be in agreement when we say fuck cancer. Um, it's just one of those things. It's, it's pretty, it's frustrating. Um, and I mean, especially with a turnaround like that, um, you know, it's, 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 way better that you spent your time um with her and your family and your brother than trying to train for uh you know in, in the grand scheme of things right. something that's not really that important so you know it's definitely um you know extremely sorry obviously um and you know it's one of those things that hey it is what it is at this point and uh you know hopefully hopefully uh you know you can remember her and do everything that you need to do and uh you know whenever you're out there you're always uh racing for her and she's watching down and um you know i mean that's it's really all I can say. I, I really don't have much. For sure. that, so uh, I, I agree. It's uh, it's one of those unfortunate things that unfortunately too many people have to deal with. And I'm not alone in that. And, uh, but like you said, I, I've used it in a very positive light and I was able to, I think I had my best bobsled season. Well, best training going into a bobsled season that year. I was in phenomenal shape and I really, you can ask any of my bobsled teammates that I, uh, I came back from my first year to my second year. I was, it was night and day and I established myself as probably the best guy going into the, my second year season. And I think uh, it attributes to just all that kind of growing up I had to do and uh, that real like motivation to, to, to put everything I, I can into what I have while I'm here. So it was, uh, I definitely use it in a positive light and going forward it's, it's taken me some great places. So. Heck yeah, man. That's really all we can do. And that's all we can really hope for. So, uh, you know, obviously congratulations with everything. Obviously again, our condolences, it's unfortunate. It's been a couple of years now, but still that's nothing uh, that's not yeah. going to leave anytime soon. So, um, so no, I mean, Hey man, we appreciate everything you're doing. So thank you. Um, so you're, you're training, you're getting ready. You're obviously crushing it as it sounds. Um, and so I, I guess explain bobsled to us a little bit. I mean, obviously watching on TV, some dude, couple dudes, or you know, in the four men, a bunch of dudes are running. In the two man, yeah. one couple dudes, you know, and and you're hopping in and, and you're rolling. Now you don't have to get too intricate or, or technical with us, but you're you're a pilot, correct? No, I'm a I'm a pusher. No, okay, I'm sorry about that. And there's the internet; it's getting me again. So you're a pusher. So you're the guy in the back. Um, yeah. I guess tell us what it takes and and why I guess how your decathlon and track and field training was so easily converted into a skill in such an obscure sport yeah bobsledding is um it's a very unusual sport and fortunately i've i've learned a ton about it and i could talk your ear off more than anybody would ever think they want to know about bobsled but in a nutshell bobsled it's um we're sliding down an ice uh course it's roughly a mile long depending on the, the place you're at uh, but the only time we can really accelerate the sled is at the start. And so that's where you have these uh, these men or, or women to, to push the sled. And that's your kind of your horsepower comes from these push athletes. And so you want these really strong and really fast athletes. Uh, so you need strength because the sled can weigh up uh, upwards of 230 kilos, which is uh, quite a lot, even though it's frictionless you know, in theory, frictionless on the ice, it's, uh, it's takes a lot of inertia to get going. So you have these, uh, really kind of, uh, strong and fast guys to, to power it out of the hole and then to start running with it as the sled will start taking off down the hill. Um, as you can imagine with anything going down the hill, it's going to pick up more momentum as you go. So you want the faster a guy can be, the longer he can stick with the sled and the longer he can continue pushing force into the sled. So, uh, that was our responsibility. And then there's a pilot who he also pushes the sled, but then he'll hop in and then he'll 
uh, maneuver the sled. There's a whole intricate steering system that uh, a lot of engineers take a lot of time into designing to make it uh, every country, every sled different. And they'll try to maneuver us down the track as fast as they can. And the fastest at the bottom of the hill wins. <laughs> yep, that, that part I knew. I understood that part 100%. <laughs> um, one thing I did not know was that all the sleds are different. I would have assumed that it would be kind of even across yeah. the board or maybe a little wiggle room here and there. It's how, I mean, was it, was it Mercedes or BMW made ours, if I'm not mistaken? Or at yeah, least so, they sponsored it. I don't, I don't know how much you know, time and energy they put into it. But I guess tell us a little bit more about that. That's interesting. Yeah, so every, like I said, every country will have their own theories about sled design and they'll have their own sled makers. Um, the U.S. team was sponsored by BMW um, for the large part of this last quad and the previous quad going into the Sochi Olympics. Um, and they are engineered. So this was BMW of USA. So contrary to what everyone believes is that BMW, the Germans should know all the technology that goes into our sled, but that's not true because it's we have the BMW USA who operates very separately from BMW of Germany. Um, and so we'll work with their engineers on designing um, the most aerodynamic, the, the lightest, quickest, all, all these different um, elements that go into making a sled fast. Uh, we worked with them on designing. Um, and so at this last Olympics, we had a brand new four-man sled that we rolled out literally weeks before the Olympics uh, to try it out. Sometimes it works well, sometimes it doesn't. Um, and each country, like I said, they, um, they'll have their different theories. And so you'll see some varying uh, degrees of what a sled will look like. But there is a international like jury committee that will um, do sled inspections and making sure that it's in uh, certain spe specs that make it all kind of legal in, in a sense. So that makes sense. Cause I was going to say that would be um, pretty hectic to use a, I guess a lesser term if everybody could just go, go to town with whatever yeah. they were doing. So that, that makes sense. I guess there it's, it's within a range. It sounds like where certain right. things can be and, and yeah. how things are engineered. So that is incredible though. That's really interesting. And so you're a pusher. Um, how, how are teams constructed? Like, is it, is it the four or the three at least fastest guys and the best pilot on one team? Or, or is, there, is there a little bit more to it than that? Yeah, I mean, you could talk to any bobsled athlete and he'll probably tell you a different theory about how their team came about or what it is that, makes it, that will help them make a team. Um, unfortunately, there are some politics involved as well where you have to figure out um, who's your best bud, who can you rely on, and uh, that's a large part of it. You know, who can you trust? And um, So it's not always just the best athletes. Although we want all our best athletes and all our athletes to be trustworthy and doing the right things off the ice and on the ice, it, it doesn't always work out that way. And so the pilots are the ones that really will say who they want to be on their teams. They're kind of like the quarterback saying, oh, I want this guy, I want this guy, and this guy. Um, and each guy will probably bring a different uh, quality into the sled. Um, as far as positioning on a sled, uh, the U.S. program has um, our philosophy is we want kind of our, usually our, our bigger, stronger guy on the left side of the sled because he's the first one to get into the sled besides the pilot. And then we'll want um, our fastest guy in the very back of the sled because he'll be on the ice longest when the sled is going at his fastest. Um, so it, it all depends on how you load into the sled, and each country will have a different philosophy on how you load into the sled as well. Um, but that's kind of how the U.S. program has done it. And so we'll design our team around that, saying, oh, well, I know this guy, he's very strong, but he might not be the fastest. He might be a really good two-guy for my sled or something like that. Interesting. So, yeah, I mean, I get, and that's why I love doing this because I get to learn more and more about some of these sports. So where, where are you um, on the sled? Uh, so at the Olympics, I was actually the two guys. So I was the one um, right behind it. But I was probably one of maybe two or three guys that have gone from every position. And I'm pretty versatile where you can put me on any position in the sled and I'll, I'll be good. I'm, like I said, I've never been the strongest or fastest guy, but I'm uh, pretty good at both of them. Mm -hmm. uh, 
And that's just kind of where we worked out. I was fortunate. Steve LinkedIn was my teammate at the Olympics, and he's regarded as probably the best push athlete of all time. Uh, he won two bronze medals in the Sochi Olympics in four-man and two-man for the U.S. And he returned, and because he has, all, he has all these records for the right side of the sled, and that's where I was pushing before this season, uh, I decided to make that modification. That let's keep Steve on the right side of the sled, and I can move over to the left side of the sled. And uh, we made it work that way. Yeah, I mean, if he's the best in the country at something, it makes the most sense to keep him where he's uh, where he's the best in the country at something. So that's pretty cool. Um, yeah. That's really interesting. And I guess to, to your point of being versatile, I mean, obviously, again, going back to the decathlon and just being, yeah. as you said, maybe not the best at everything, but you're relatively good at each of these things. So I can see how that can transition over. Um, I'm not going to say relatively easy because I'm sure it was re- it was pretty hard for you, but at the same time, the, the transition makes sense in my mind and I'm, I'm sure it made sense in yours and hopefully the people listening uh, can agree to that as well. Um, so one thing that I just want to bring up before uh, we go on a little bit further and, and I can't believe I haven't brought it up to this point, but I was actually able to speak with Lauren Williams, um, the first female athlete to medal at both the, the summer and winter games. And she brought up, she, she medaled in bobsled. Um, and she thought it was super cool and she loved it. It was obviously at the very end of her career. It wasn't like you, a, a beginning career change, but she said she absolutely loved it. I mean, if I'm not mistaken, Lolo Jones, um, is, uh, is on one of the bobsled teams and she used to be, or is, if not still is a, a track star. So it's really interesting how many, um, people, you know, once they kind of, uh, either, are maybe not the best at their sport in track anymore are then able to kind of go over and still compete and keep that, um, keep their, keep their athleticism up. But the, the thirst for competition is still very, uh, it's alive and well, which is pretty cool to see. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like I said, all, nobody really grows up wanting to be a bobsledder. You really come from another sport and track and field. Uh, you have some of the strongest, fastest people that you, you will ever come across. So they naturally make great bobsledders football, athletes are the same and i think that's kind of how we focus our recruiting on now being on the team uh we'll take a look and across all these different sports that we have to choose from in the u.s let's let's find the strongest and fastest people and we'll teach them how to bobsled i think i heard the stat or the saying i don't don't know how accurate it is but bobsledding is 90 percent athleticism and 10 percent skill so if we can get that really good athlete that's 90 percent of it we can teach you the rest of the skill to to bobsled and that shouldn't be too long i mean i'm I'm a great example yeah i picked up the sport within three years and i was on the olympic team so it's uh it's definitely a really good opportunity for a lot of athletes to try it and i I hope that more athletes will try it i think that uh, we can the u.s has some of the best athletes to choose from and there should be no reason why we don't have the best bobsled team in the world every year hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, like, uh, obviously competition breeds excellence, the bigger and stronger these guys and girls can be, um, you know, the, m- the more opportunity we will have to, uh, you know, a- assert our dominance, if I may. Um, yes. <laughs> especially because as you said, I mean, our, um, our potential player pool is pretty darn big compared to the rest of the world and some of these things and the amount of dollars we have too is also pretty incredible um when it comes to some of this stuff so that is pretty cool so evan i know we're keeping you a little bit longer than expected but i've been having a lot of fun i hope you're having an enjoyable time too um so now we're gonna i guess switch to something a little bit again more real um i do want people to understand what it's like being olympic athlete on the training and nutrition and all that and everything that you've been able to tell us about your story but also the monetary aspects of it as well um it's not something that's easy um you know we know a few that we can name off the top of our head but everybody else is really in the other 99.9 percent when it comes to the amount of money that they're getting paid which i think is a little ridiculous especially because the amount of time and energy you are putting into it um but if you don't mind and and maybe you can even give a pretty unique um perspective being on uh you know two different potential teams what um like what do you see on the bobsled side that you kind of you know, I, I understand I've spoken with a couple of bobsledders and they have to take off two years to work so that they can come back and continue to train. Like to me, that's ridiculous and unfortunate. So, I mean, from your point of view, what is it like with sponsorships, with stipends from, from the team and, and all that? And how are you able to make it all work as well as you do? Yeah, that's, uh, that's probably the biggest question that the most athletes uh, wonder about bobsledding or any type of Olympic sport as, uh, how do you get paid to do it? How do you do this as long as you do it? And uh, unfortunately, I don't believe that uh, 
the Olympic athletes uh, get paid kind of what what they should. You know, we're we're in a sense amateur athletes as as much as people want to believe we're pros or we're the best at what we do, and we, usually we are. We just don't get paid in the same sense that the NFL or the MLB those athletes do. So it's uh, it's tough. Uh, the USOC will provide some sort of uh, small monthly stipend to maybe a fraction of the athletes. I, even on the Olympic bobsled team, we had 12 push athletes, and I think maybe only three or four of us were actually getting paid from the USOC, the U.S. Olympic Committee. Um, and the rest of them were going completely unfunded. And so they have to rely on um, maybe family support, outside sponsors, or um, however they make it work. And it, it's really tough for a lot of people because a lot of people are fortunate to have uh, the backing from their family members or they are not very marketable. Uh, bobsledding itself is not a very marketable sport. You know, people only care about it for typically one month out of every four years where, or during the Olympics. It's a, it's a fun event and people love it during the Olympics. But besides that, um, it's, there's just no market for it in the U.S. People, you know, in Europe, it's a, it's a little different story and they get paid uh, differently. And maybe that's why the European teams have been having a lot more success in the Olympics is because their athletes are fully supported uh, year in and year out where uh, the U.S. program is, is really struggling to, to maintain athletes and to, to keep them around. And it, it's, it makes sense. And I'm un unfortunately in that same boat. And I decided uh, as difficult as it was, and I'm one of the youngest and probably mo most promising athlete uh, on the team, I had to take time off to, to work. And that's exactly what I'm doing right now. Uh, moved out to San Francisco again, and I started a, a job doing medical device sales, uh, which is it's a, a different lifestyle, but it, it it will pay the bills, and it's uh, it's something that I'm you know fits into my background, and uh, that's uh, and I, I still have aspirations of going on and competing in another Olympics because uh, it's something I am passionate about, and I'm passionate about. Uh, winning an Olympic medal. That was my goal. Uh, I knew as soon as I joined the bobsled team, if, okay, the Olympics is a very uh, like reasonable thing for me, then let's shoot something higher because once I reach the Olympics, I don't want to just be there. I want to be there and have a purpose. And I think that my goal going forward is to obviously win an Olympic medal and anything less than that would uh, really just feel pretty stagnant to me. And you know, I don't, I don't want to downplay the Olympics because it's, that's a great experience, but um, I had a great experience at the Olympics and um, now I'm kind of looking on what's the next step. How do I continue to better myself? And is being a two-time Olympian really going to matter much outside of, um, you know, just saying that fact, is it like, where's that going to take me later in life? And um, So I'm trying to kind of get my foot going in the right direction post being an athlete, um, which is a tough reality. And, I'm sure Lauren Williams, she she would speak very uh, – she's the one to talk to about that because she's had a, a very interesting story and how she's taken her career post uh, athletics and how she's doing financial uh, planning. And, and she's came and spoke to a lot of us uh, young Olympians on how we can start working uh, for our next step. So um, – it's just the tough reality of Olympic sports. You know, you, there is no money in it, and you're not going to get paid uh, the same unless you're a Michael Phelps or a Lindsey Vaughn and someone who can really make a career out of it. But you have to be that marketable person. Uh, so many of us aren't. We're just very ordinary people, as I'm sure that you're finding out from uh, your podcast. And, yeah, I guess we have some uh, some cool ex uh, experiences or some events that I didn't even realize really happened that led me to where I am. But uh, I view it as anybody could have done it. You know, I didn't, there was nothing really special that uh, I feel like I did that got me to where I was. And um, so how do you support those type of people who want to chase a, a dream or want to chase something that's um, really all about themselves <laughs> and as well? It de depends on how you view it. I mean, I, wa I wanted to represent the U.S. I wanted to to do that so it wasn't just about how what can i do but uh for some athletes it is and so how do we how do we support that and is there enough money to do that and who's going to pay for it you know it's 
these are the questions that we're all trying to figure out and uh, how do we make that work and for the bobsled team unfortunately that meant a lot of us not competing in uh the the off years not uh not continuing and growing the program and uh that's i think probably one of our biggest issues and how we're not winning olympic medals um at least at this last olympic so it's um i mean it's it's unbelievable and it's uh, heart wrenching gut wrenching whatever we want you know it's 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 ridiculous how you guys can um you know do so much and give so much and get so little um and and then yeah i mean i guess i mean i might have talked to someone obviously relatively close to you because he's doing the exact same thing or at least he was telling me he was going to be doing the exact same thing of medical device sales and it's just it's incredible how again you the money's there. We all know that. I mean, I, we don't need to get too political about it. We're the richest country in the world for a reason. I mean, there's there's a way that you guys can get a couple more dollars, and there's no reason only four of twelve people that are putting their life's work and and, and you know doing all this for the country should only get paid. I mean, I I think it's ridiculous, and that's why I always like to bring up the topic because um you know it's it's unfortunate for lack of a better term that's really all i can come up with right now it's extremely unfortunate and it's ridiculous i guess that's another one that i could come up with right now and i mean you know you you know being a relatively humble dude i understand you think anybody could have done it but ask anybody on the street and i can guarantee they'd say what the hell are you talking about there's no way i could have done that so um it's pretty incredible what you've done and it's it's just unfortunate the way it's kind of turned out um you know obviously we're crossing our fingers for you hopefully you can make enough money for in the next two years to be able to go back and hopefully things will start changing will they i mean again maybe, maybe we're able to change that a little bit. Um, you know, maybe one person at a time, but at the same time, it's just, um, you know, hopefully, hopefully that will change in the future. Hopefully you will get compensated, not just more, but correctly. Um, you know, as you said, as our conversation was earlier, you know, we want to get the best, biggest and best athletes from football and all these other sports, but how are you supposed to tell an 18 year old, like, Oh, Hey, like you should try out bobsled. You don't get paid anything. You, you know, you get acknowledged once every four years. Don't play football anymore. Come play bobsled or come bobsled. I don't know. I get play bobsled isn't the correct term, but you know, come, come slide down the ice every once in a while. It's a blast. Like, so like, how are you supposed to sell that to future athletes? And obviously we're not going to be able to grow the sport. Um, and this isn't just a bobsled thing. This is, this is across many uh, Olympic many sports. sports. Yeah. And I, I think that that's part of our problem with re- recruiting as well. You know, I talk about how there's uh, anybody could try it. We have so, the, so many of these fast and strong athletes, like take the NFL, for example. There's so many great football players that don't end up making the NFL. Well, guess what? They could be a great bobsledder, but why would they ever give up that dream of making millions of dollars in the NFL to go just be an Olympian with no money. Like it, it, it's tough that unfortunately that title only takes you so far. And um, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to say that people are driven by money, but it's, it, it's unfortunate that you, you can't do a lot of the things you want to do. You can't train the same way you can't without having that sort of support. So. Exactly. I mean, if you can't buy food to eat or get the correct nutrition or get the correct coaching or the correct equipment, like we can't really expect you to be one of the best in the world at something. So, um, you know, it's again, it's just extremely unfortunate. It is a total drag. And, you know, hopefully again, as I said, we can at least change that one person at the time uh, at a time. And hopefully, you know, we can create a little bit of a movement. Unfortunately, now that the Olympics are over for this year, at least for 2018, we're not really going to be noticing anything until at least 2020. So the conversation gets stagnant. It'll come back up again. It'll fall back down, get stagnant, come back up again. So hopefully, you know, there's a a nice increase and a nice incline rather than just an up and down. Like everyone gets outraged and then we forget about it, and then we're outraged and then we forget about it because that's what a 24 hour news cycle is anyway. So it's, uh, yep. <laughs> it is what it is. But so uh, my next question was going to be, what are the prospects for 2022? Um, it sounds like you're kind of on the fence about it, and you know, I, I love your honesty and all this, and I love your intimacy and you being very as you, you know, you put it to me, you're an open book and I appreciate that. And I think that's what makes your story even better because you can tell us every, you know, you can read us every page, but you know what, it, right now, I guess, 2018, uh, what is it? August 17th, 2018, Evan, you know, what, what are you thinking um, for the potential yeah. next games? It's, it's been tough. And, and that's something I've taken the last couple months to work with a lot of the federation. Uh, I've tried to be, be more vocal. I'm typically not the most uh, vocal leader, but um, like I said, I if I'm going to take another crack at this, and I 
not only want to make another Olympic team, but I want to win an Olympic medal. How, what, what are the steps we need to take to turn this around? Uh, so I'm working very closely with the head coach that, um, of our team now, the athletes that are still remaining and will be competing uh, for these next three years leading up to try to change the culture around, to try to change the structure, to provide um, just a better plan of attack so that we can be better prepared to an Olympic medal. And I think we failed in many aspects of that going into this last Olympics. And uh, it's tough for athletes to be very vocal about it when they're just, they're, they're so new and they, they don't understand really. Um, they just want to be part of a team. And, um, but now, like I said, I, I just want to, to be able to see that the changes are going to be made and uh, our team can get going in the right directions. And then I would love to absolutely be part of it. Um, and I will join as soon as, uh, you know, I think the team is ready for it and uh, not, not trying to punish them, but like, you know, I, I am taking time for myself as well to focus on these goals outside of athletics. So, um, yeah, that's where I stand right now. Hundred <laughs> percent, man. And again, I, I I appreciate your honesty. And I wouldn't, if I was in your situation, I don't know if I'd go back. I mean, obviously, I'll never be in your situation, and I can never understand really what you're going through, especially after telling us for the last hour what you've been going through. Um, so you know, I can never really be able to tell you what to do. Um, I'm sure people on the internet love to do that, um, but you know, obviously, we're not. We never never walked a mile in your shoes, so I really can't say. But in all honesty, I probably wouldn't be able to go back. I mean, you, dude, you got to make a living. Like you have to. You know, as, as much as you enjoy it, as much as it's impressive and you've represented our country. And again, we appreciate every second you've, you know, put into doing that. Um, when you lay all the facts out on the table, man, if, if you can't buy food for yourself, if you're eating ramen noodles every day, like that's just yeah. ridiculous. That's below yeah. the poverty line at that point. And I would ask most people just in the general public, you know, like how willing would you be to put everything on hold until you're 30 years old and then try to find a career? And, and that's that's kind of the reality. You know, if I win another four years, I would come out of this next Olympics at 30 with really no, um, with no like mm -hmm. work experience, traditional work experience. So besides saying I'm an athlete, which people don't really take in the same sense as, oh, I worked for Google for four years, you know? So it's, um, that's, that's kind of what we're dealing with. And that's uh, how we're trying to make it work. And, uh, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's an exciting time, and I, you know, I'm not bitter about it. I'm I'm very uh, fortunate with all the things that um, have occurred in my life and all the experience that I've had, and I, I'm very happy to this day of where I'm going and where I think my potential can be, and I, I hope to approach everything with that same sort of mentality and mindset that I uh, apply to my athletics and how uh, I was able to progress up those ranks. So. Um, yeah, I'm sure that's a similar story with pretty much every athlete you've talked to. <laughs> uh, just about, man. I'm not gonna lie, and it, it's the the more I hear, I mean, I love hearing all your stories, especially you know, it's 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 interesting how you guys all think it's uh, it's not a big deal, but believe me, coming from an outside perspective, it's it's pretty incredible what you've been able to go through, what you've been able to persevere, um, you specifically, but you know, Olympic athletes in general. So again, you know, we sincerely appreciate every uh, every second, every dollar you've been able to put into it, and I mean, exactly. How can you really not do anything? Okay, that's a terrible way of putting it, but how could you have any work experience, as you said, traditional work experience until 30 years old? I mean, that's, yes, it, at least you have something on your resume, but at the same time, it's not applicable, I guess is a good way to say it. And it's, it's, it's yeah. incredible. And I know, you know, the USOSA will tell us that they, um, you know, they do have a work program and I understand that. And I'm sure that they have helped a lot of people in that, in that sense. But at the same time, you know, a smart dude like yourself, thankfully you have a pretty, pretty incredible, um, you know, going back 45 minutes, you have a pretty incredible, um, college, college Brown university has been able to, you know, you were able to graduate from. So I, I wasn't, I wasn't too worried about you if I can be honest, but, um, there are a lot of athletes out there that haven't graduated from Brown or that haven't graduated in general. Um, so that's, that's the scary part. Um, so again, hopefully we'll be able to change that, but Evan, I mean, that's it for me, man. I took, kept you way longer than I expected, but I've really enjoyed this conversation. You've given us a lot. Um, you've been very open, very honest with us, very intimate, and we sincerely, sincerely appreciate everything you've done. So again, Evan Weinstock, USA bobsledding, crossing our fingers for the next time around. But again, as we've come to come to understand, you know, if you got to do what's best for yourself, man. Uh, well, thank you. I really appreciate you having me and uh, let me talk your ear off. And this is one of my favorite subjects to talk about. <laughs> so I'm, uh, I'm, like I said, I'm an open book. And if 
anybody listening will, has any more questions or would like to talk to me more in depth, please reach out to me. I, I'd like to try to be accessible to everybody. So, um, I, again, thank you for taking the time and, and listening. No problem at all, man. Where, uh, where can people find you? Um, Instagram, email, um, anything. I mean, I think my email is on my Instagram. I think that's probably the most public uh, source that I, I will access most frequently. <laughs> Love it. Well, hopefully a couple of people reach out to you. They have some questions for you. And I mean, honestly, we didn't even get too deep into the bobsled part of it. So I'm excited to the next conversation we have to hear all and, and a, a lot more about bobsled, man. So I appreciate it again. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Hey, guys, thank you so much again for listening. I sincerely appreciate it as well as the athletes do. Um, make sure to follow them across their social medias to see and watch what they're doing because these people are just so incredible. And uh, we have we're so lucky that I we get to hear them speak. Um, and I'm so lucky that I get to talk directly to them. So it's so much fun, but make sure you follow them across their socials. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at our athletes.us. If you have any questions for me, Michael at our athletes.us. Let me know what you're thinking. Tell me ways I can get better. Tell me people that you might think it would be really interesting to interview. I think that would be a lot of fun too. Um, please rate, review, subscribe, share iTunes, Google play, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you're listening. Just let people know how much you're enjoying it and if there's anything that I can do better. Um, put it out on the internet because if it's out there, then accountability is fun. But other than that, guys, thank you so much. I sincerely appreciate it and I hope you have a wonderful day. Mm-hmm.